home is always a place that touches our hearts. I remember when I was alone in America for eight and a half months, my wife and my children were separated because my wife returned to Singapore together with my oldest child, my firstborn. She was then just under two years old so that my wife could give birth to our second child in Singapore where her mom and her family members would be able to look after her and care for her. That was our decision when we knew that my wife was expecting our second child. I was studying in the seminary and we felt that with the second child coming and with our first child still so young, it would be very difficult for me to balance study time and also to take care of my wife and especially when the baby was born. That was our decision. But that resulted in eight and a half months of separation between me and my family or my family and I. It was very, very painful. It was at times pretty lonely. I have to move out of our one-room apartment. There's no reason for me to stay there by myself. I moved into a new premises, a room with other young men from the college. They were Americans. I was the only Singaporean there. We hardly have any contact because of our difference in time and perhaps even culture. Whatever it was, I did not know my fellow housemates. But those eight and a half months were months where my body was in America studying. But my heart was where my family was, home. And so I worked very hard. I strive to finish my studies as soon as possible so that I could return home to be with my family. Home. We thank God that when the Lord tells us that this old home should not be our home any longer. If we came to know Christ at the age of 30, that means for the first 30 years of our lives, this world was our only home, as it is true of everyone. We do not know of any other planet. Our heart, our mind, our entire being focus on this place, Earth. And we were prepared to do anything because we thought that this was it. There was no alternative. I did not know that if I were to die in my sin, I'd end up in hell because nobody shared with me the gospel. For the most part of my life, home is always something that is dear to our hearts, even when we are on holidays. We long for home. On holidays, may be very exciting in the initial couple of weeks, but after a while, living out of a suitcase, day in, day out, week in, week out, there will be a tinge of tiredness and very soon a longing for home. 
where you do not need to pack and unpack, pack and unpack, and everywhere you go, you look around you, every room, every apartment, every B&B that you stay in, you look around you, none of them belong to you. If anything falls apart, if the fridge doesn't work, you're not going to go and buy a fridge to fix it. If a light bulb blows, you're not going to buy one and change it. It's not your home. You're reminded starkly in your holidays that this is not your home. And so how can we, who have always known the earth as our only home, take our eyes off it and to focus on some other place that we have never seen before in our eyes, with our eyes. It's only by faith. And that is exactly what verses 13 and 14 reveal to us concerning the focus and importance of our growth. Message number six talks about the focus of growth, and we did touch on that, especially when we look at verse 12, looking for and hasting unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens here will be destroyed. Now, if this world is destroyed, and if this world was our only home, uh, that will be disastrous. You do not want to be left homeless. You see people living in the streets in some parts of the world when you travel, especially also in America. There are people who live in cardboard boxes and they die during winter because it's too cold. And they suffocate because of the heat in summer. They literally have no homes. They are beggars, they are vagabonds, and they live in the streets. They are the homeless. All over the world you find homeless people, and it's a miserable state and condition to be homeless. You have no address, people ask you, how do I contact you? What is your address? I don't have one. You have no modern amenities to go to that is safe, that is private, that is your own. You may have to share some public facilities. You don't have a proper bed that you can sleep on and you say that this is my pillow, this is my bed, my blanket, these are my clothes, these are my belongings, this is my home. And you all can feel safe that after a hard day's work outside where you have to literally fight for everything and then you just open your door and you come back home, this is safety, this is security, this is peace, this is home. We all need to have a home. That is our makeup. That is the way that God has built into our DNA, a home. Remember how Cain was punished by God after he murdered his own brother? He was very afraid that people will see him and want to kill him. And so the Lord put a mark on his head. And then the Lord said to him that your life from henceforth will be that of a vagabond. No home. For how long? Well, for as long as he lived. We do not know how long he lived, but the people in those days lived for, lived for eight, nine hundred years. Imagine living a life of a vagabond for eight, nine hundred years where you have nowhere that you can stay put and say, this is my home. I'm going to call this home and I'm going to grow and live here and I'm not going to travel and move anymore. Canaan was not permitted to have that experience of peace and tranquility in a place that he could call home. We need that place. 
We need that place for our sanity. We need that place for the stability of our heart and our mind to keep our focus. That we will not lose heart and lose sight because the Lord wants us to see this world as a world that is reserved for destruction by fire and this was our old home. One of our church members just moved house. The parents just moved house and that was the home that he grew up in. And so he sent me some photos of how they had to finally emptied that house to move out because it had been sold and they have bought another place to move into. He said that he was leaving behind tons of memories. He was there for more than 20 years. Memories. It's not so simple, isn't it, to be told that this earth that carried with it a lot of memories, some good, some bitter, some sweet. We know that. And yet there are memories. And then now with this earth destroyed, memories, does it affect you in any way to know that this world will be dissolved? Or are you going to be very, very distant and separate and your heart is very cold toward the destruction as if you're watching some filth and some rubbish being burnt up where you have no attachment at all? Good riddance to bad rubbish is your attitude. Is this how you're going to look at this earth that the Lord has assured us and guarantee us that it will be dissolved one day in the very near future from our perspective? A place that is our home that we have grown up in, we grew up in. That's all we know. But then the Lord says, you must trust me. You must trust me so that you will never, never stop growing in grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. That I have promised you and prepared for you a new home. A new home that you have to trust me. A new home that you have never seen before except by the eyes of faith. And so the Lord tells us in verse 13, Nevertheless we, all right, not for the rest of the sinners, only we, nevertheless, don't worry. This world will be dissolved with the elements and they shall all melt with fervent heat. That means everything that is on it, all the handiwork of man, all the buildings, all the bridges and all the so-called magnificent first world cities, skyline, all will be burned up. The whole world, the mountains, the trees, all will be dissolved with fervent heat, gone. And this world will vanish away, cease to exist literally. Nevertheless, we. And so the Lord assured us, we, that means Peter and all believers, according to his promise, all right, according to his promise, the word of a God who cannot lie, not that Peter has seen it somewhere, it's according to God's promise, not only to him, but to all, that's why he said, we, all who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ with all his heart, look for, we look for new heavens and a new earth, wherein dwelleth righteousness. Please take note that the word look for is the same as what is found in verse 12. Looking for, one is looking for the destruction and then now with the same verb, looking for with anticipation for the new heavens and the new earth. And this word new is the same 
that you find in Revelation chapter 21, which is the beginning of the description of our new home and the new capital city known as the New Jerusalem. Revelation 21, John says in verse 1, And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, that is, perished, gone, disappeared, evaporated, and there was no more sea. So a new earth that has no seas in it. So God has assured us with anticipation, God understands how some of us, our heart may hurt because of memories. This had always been our home. When I think back on those days in America, it's always a tinge, sweet and bitter. Yeah, longing to be with my family, but at the same time, to be able to study God's Word full-time was a blessing. Mixed feelings. And so the Lord says, even as you look with anticipation what I have promised you that this world don't allow the seduction and the temptation of this world where the devil is in control to force you, cause you to lose your holy witness. Therefore, you must keep on growing in grace and in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace would be the experience of all the blessings that God has bestowed upon you while you witness for Him on this earth and coupled with the Word of God so that you can experience it correctly for the strengthening of your faith. God says, I promise you a good replacement. A replacement whereby it is a contrast of night and day. And so he says to us that it is a replacement wherein the new heaven and new earth, wherein dwelleth righteousness. That's why no sinner will ever be able to set foot on this new heaven and new earth. Now, some people might think, that this new heaven and new earth refers to the millennium. I do not believe that this context points to the millennium. I believe this context points to the new heaven and new earth of eternity. A new heaven and new earth that comes after the millennium, because the millennium is mentioned in Revelation chapter 20. For in the millennium, there will still be sinners. The millennium is very much like the earth in the end of Noah's flood, where God had to reform, reshape the surface of the earth in order to push the landmass up and then create deep valleys, which we call oceans, where God can dump all the water. Because now the water above and the water beneath are combined into one gigantic hole. And so therefore, the topography of the old earth before the flood and the new earth will be drastically different night and day. In order to contain the new mass of water that poured down from the heavens, that God separated at creation. Separated the water above and the water beneath. And then God created the land. But then when the flood came, the water above came back down, covered the whole earth, every square inch of it. Everything died except the sea creatures in the oceans, 
and those that were in the ark. And then at the end of it, God pushed up a new landmass, which is called our world. And now the book of Peter tells us that this old earth of ours, this new landmass, will now be destroyed completely by fire. This time, God will burn up everything, dissolve, burn up. And then God will have to recreate a new heaven and a new earth before the millennium begins. And that's why in Isaiah 65, when God described the millennium, he also used the same phrase, but in Hebrew, new heavens and new earth. In Isaiah 65, verse 17, new heavens and new earth. Let me read to you from Isaiah 65, verse 17. For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former shall not be remembered nor come to mind. Right? So the old earth, that is our present earth, will be so completely changed by the Lord that the old earth will very soon be forgotten. So it will also be a surface renovation. But the new heaven and new earth of Second Peter chapter 3 of verse 13 is not a surface renovation because this new heavens and new earth is similar to the one in Revelation 21 where the old heaven and old earth will be gone for good, vanish away, no more, cease to exist. The Lord has given us this assurance, this promise. Why? Because that's the way we are. We need this. We cannot have that kind of inward, perhaps, balance in our heart, in our mind, when we do not have a home to look forward to. We need that. Maybe we should have a conversation with people who are homeless. How do they feel? At the end of every day, they have nowhere to go. And when they wake up, perhaps they would rather not wake up at all. Because when they wake up, they have nothing to do. And then by the close of another day, it will be a day of aimlessness, whereby they will simply maybe sit there and beg for alms. And then at the end of the day, they go to sleep. Where? Nowhere. They have no place of safety and security. They just sleep by the wayside, underneath some bridges, or some empty buildings that are waiting to be torn down or destroyed. They are not even sure whether when they close their eyes out of extreme tiredness, whether they will ever wake up at all, because anybody could just simply stab them to death. They just simply could die in their sleep because of murder. They are not encased in a safe cocoon like our home, where the windows are locked, where the doors are very well secured. They have no windows, no doors, no walls, no roof, nothing. Just out in the open. And this is their experience probably for the rest of their lives. A life of hopelessness, a life of homelessness, a life of complete, total, without security, absolute insecurity. That kind of feeling the Lord says, I do not want any of my children to have as they witness a good confession for my only begotten Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to reveal to them and assure them and promise them 
a new heaven and a new earth. That's what the Lord says to us. And it will be characterized by righteousness in contrast to this world that is characterized by wickedness, unrighteousness, all things unrighteous is what we see in this world. Switch on the television, you see it. Switch on your internet, you see it. You surf the net. You walk along the streets. The moment you open your eyes, you look out the window. You look along the streets. You go to office, you look around you. You sit in the public transport. You look at the advertisements. Everything around you characterized by the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. The boast of men. The pride of man is everywhere. Building of the building named after men. Men's abilities, men's aims, hopes, aspirations. But the new heavens and new earth, the Lord says, I want my children to know that I will never, never allow them to be homeless, even as I reveal to them, don't make this world your home anymore. Then where is our home, God? It's there, in the new heaven and the new earth. And the word new there refers to something that never existed before. It's a world that has never been stained or touched by sin. The new heaven and new earth of millennium have been touched by sin. You know that, right? That's why it's only a surface renovation. But God doesn't want our eternal new heavens and new earth to be touched by any sinner or any sin. Even the heavens has been stained by sin because the archangel Lucifer sinned in heaven before he was cast out. And one third of the fallen, of the angel, angels that God made were, became fallen angels and they were cast out together with the devil at the same time. So heaven also stained by sin. Outer space also stained by sin every time men sent out their satellites. It's a junkyard up in outer space. Stained by the handiwork of man, sinful man. Then of course, the earth. Everywhere you go, everywhere there is a human being, no matter how pristine, no matter how beautiful God had created this world for us, everywhere man touches, it's filthy, it's dirty, it becomes sinful, it becomes horrendous. I remember the first time when I went to Indonesia, I went to Bandung. We took a train together with my colleague on holiday, just for a couple of days. I never realized how beautiful the countryside of Indonesia was. Yeah, I saw what Jakarta was like. It was terrible. It was smelly. The moment you got out of the international airport to take a cab to the domestic airport to fly to another part of Indonesia for my job, I smelled the stench of how some of them lived by their riverside, and it was filthy. The noise was a nightmare. The traffic jam was horrendous. The smell of carbon monoxide. That's the heart of Jakarta. 
And I thought that, well, Indonesia must be terrible until on my way to Bandung by train, I witnessed the beauty of God's creation, the countryside, the hills, the mountains, the greenery. It was spectacular the first time I saw it. It was true also of Kenya, Tanzania, the mountainside, Mount Kilimanjaro, beautiful snow cap, beautiful mountains, the countryside. But the capital city of Kenya, Nairobi, it was not good. Maybe slightly better than Jakarta, but not by much. Why? Because that's where men lived. Everywhere men lived and touched, it's a mess. But not in the new heaven and new earth, because only the righteous can dwell in an environment of righteousness. Perhaps, hypothetically, how do you think a sinner would feel if he were to enter into such an environment of pure, complete righteousness? Do you think he will feel very comfortable? Or he will feel so miserable because he will keep on wanting to do all things that are sinful and wicked, but he is surrounded by an environment and by a people who can never sin, an environment where everything is righteous, no sinful things, nothing at all. I think he can't stand it. He will rush to get out of such a new heaven and a new earth. He will be miserable. Just like you and I should be miserable in this earth in terms of the environment. Never, never see this world and have that kind of sentiments. Because now your eyes are opened. When you reflect back on those times when you were a sinner, bound by sin, you can't imagine how many sins you have committed and how wicked and sinful your life was like, inwardly and outwardly. And your words... They were filled with scorn and vulgarity and harshness and sinfulness. And God said, this was the world that you lived in. And the world has not changed, but you have changed. Because you have changed now that you are righteous inside. The moment you become a Christian, the Lord tells us that I have imputed to you the righteousness of the law. You are now righteous inside, and therefore God says, I want you to be righteous outside. That's why the new heaven and new earth, that is your new home, your new eternity, that I have promised you, will be characterized by righteousness, whereby you will feel very comfortable there. And that's why you must love righteousness, do all things righteous. That means all things according to Scripture. That's what righteousness means. Not righteous in your own eyes. Not do what is right in your own eyes. That's the standard of the world. It is always a righteousness that is defined by the Word of God. The perfect Word of God. The Word of God that has no mistakes. Because if it's the Word of God that has mistakes, then we cannot say that this is a book that will help me to live a life of righteousness. Because there are some parts that will not be righteous because it carries mistakes. You see the danger of the attacks now? Everything you believed in will be questioned and doubted. And the Lord says, how are you going to be righteous if you don't grow in grace and in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ? Impossible. That's why the conclusion is, grow in grace and in the knowledge. 
That's why we began with verse 18. Then we go back to chapter, one, chapter 3, verse 1, and begin with the sequence, culminating in grow in grace and the knowledge because you must be righteous now in order for you to be comfortable in the righteousness that is the new heaven and new earth. How do you know you're going to be in the new heaven and new earth that is characterized by righteousness? How do you know you're going to be there? Because right now, my heart and my life and my whole being is characterized by righteousness. And it is a righteousness that is not subjective. It is not a righteousness that is theoretical, that is up to you to define or up to me to define. It is a righteousness that is given to us by the Word of God, by God Himself. It's the Bible. And that's what we need to do. And that's what we must remember as we grow. Because this is the nature of our home. Righteousness, the home of our growth. The title is Home of Our Growth. By looking forward to our new home, our new home, our new heaven and new earth. That's why you have to grow in grace in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because that's what righteousness is. That's how you become more and more, more and more like the Lord Jesus Christ, more and more righteous in your conduct in your words, in your mind, in your heart. And the Lord says, don't forget this, wherefore, beloved, seeing that ye look for such things. Now, do you look for such things? Seeing that ye look for such things, longing for such things, Longing with anticipation. Do you have? This is a part of us that helps us to wake up and get out of bed every morning. Something exciting, something that you long for and look forward to. Why is it that when a husband and a wife think back on their courtship, is it not one of anticipation that you're going to meet this girl again the next day? Are you going to meet this girl at the end of the week? The anticipation, the courtship time. Both of you have not committed yourselves to each other, but you are both trying to explore a relationship, perhaps to know each other, and then hopefully you will end up as husband and wife. The exploratory period full of anticipation. Do you remember those good times? Husband and wife, now that you have been married for 30 plus years, it should be better. Do you still have that sense of anticipation or it is gone? That you wake up and you're so grateful and so thankful that your beloved is right next to you. That you can spend another day together on earth. And as you age, you realize these days are more precious than you could ever hope for. Because as you age, you know your ROD, your run-out date is very near. And therefore, the anticipation, anticipation of what? Of going home in this context of the Bible. The anticipation, 
the longing to be home. Longing. I know what's that like during my eight and a half months. I knew that I must finish my thesis in order that I can go home to be with my family. And so I gave myself a timeline. I must finish my thesis within two weeks. And so I work hard, plan. One day I must finish how many pages. Within a few days I must finish so many chapters. If I don't finish, I don't sleep. I'll sit there and type and write and type and write until I achieve my daily target so that I can finish it as soon as possible and then go home. And the anticipation was so, so great on the day itself when I packed my bags. Dr. Jeffrey Koo and uh, Mrs. Jamima Koo, they drove me to the airport and then got into the plane. And as the plane circled above the island of Singapore, and I know that right beneath me, my wife would be there and I would be seeing my second uh, baby for the first time in uh, my life and in her life. Anticipation. And as the plane uh, was about to touch down, the anticipation gets stronger and stronger. And then when it is time for us to get out of the plane, and then to get my passport cleared. And then you are in the arrival hall. And then you look around and you, as you wait on the carousel for your luggage to come. The anticipation, the longing to see your family which you have not seen for eight and a half months. And then finally, I came out of the airport. My wife was there. The anticipation. And I think my oldest child, Abigail, was there too. But not the little one. The little one was asleep in bed. I remember. First time I saw Elena, she was a tiny little infant. About three months old. When I first saw her in the crib, she was asleep in the evening. The anticipation. And that's what the Lord wants us to have. That's why he revealed to us a new heaven and new earth. In order to help us not to be seduced by this world. Because this world with all its attractions, they are very, very delightful. Because we serve and witness for God in this earthen flesh. And since this earthen flesh is made out of the dust of this earth, and the things that the devil used like the buildings, the beautiful garments and the beautiful shops that are so amazingly decorated with all the window attractions and all the comforts of life and all those things that he has dangled in front of us that he put a price tag on them and called them luxurious goods. But actually all of them are vanity of vanities worthless. They're all made out of the dust of the ground. But that's the problem, isn't it? Because it is made out of the same material that our earthen vessel is made up of, and therefore there is this intrinsic attraction, dependability. We need to 
depend upon the food that grows out of this same earth for this earthly earthen vessel to survive. Even though we know, according to Scripture, by faith, that God doesn't need to depend upon the food and water to keep us alive. Even though most of the time, He uses food and water to keep us alive. But He can also keep us alive without food and water. It's up to Him. We know that because when Moses fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, do you know how many times he did that? Four times. Two times up on Mount Sinai, once at the foot of Mount Sinai as he interceded for the people after they sinned against God at the golden calf incident in Exodus 32 and 33. And then the fourth time was after the ten tribes convinced the 603,548 men, Israelites, 20 years and older, not to go into the, con the promised land to conquer it. Because they are giants and we are like grasshoppers. And for that, the Lord punished them. And the Bible tells us in Deuteronomy chapter 9 and chapter 10, that Moses fasted 40 days and 40 nights interceding for them, that the Lord would not destroy them. No man could live 40 days and 40 nights without food and water. Moses did four times. Especially those two times when he went up to Mount Sinai. I was told by those who went up to Mount Sinai that it was not an easy climb. It took them about three to four hours to go up. And then to come back down was a little bit more dangerous because of the, some parts that were pretty steep slope. Moses did not eat for 40 days and 40 nights up on Mount Sinai as he communed with the Lord. And the Lord sustained him so that when he came back down, he was not any weaker or any lesser in strength. In fact, perhaps he was even stronger. Because on the second occasion when he came back down, his face glowed so brightly that the people could not look at his face. They asked him to cover it. They could not stare at it. So the Lord gave us this promise of the new heavens and new earth so that you and I would have this inner anticipation. And with that kind of anticipation, what do you think will be the object, the outcome of your perspective of where you are? With this anticipation of going home, do you realize that everything around me in the present suddenly lost its taste and attraction? If at that point in time, with my great anticipation to go home, to be with my family, to see them, and if the American government were to offer me a green card right there and then, I'll say no thanks. Whatever they want to offer me to stay behind in America, I say no thanks. Whatever it is, even if it is a billion dollars, I say no thanks. I'm not, I'm not interested. I just want to be with my family. The anticipation as the dead date went close, grow closer and closer. The anticipation gets stronger and stronger. That's the joy and the power of anticipation. And the Lord has revealed to us that you have a new heaven and a new home waiting for you. Waiting for you. There is a crown of righteousness with your name on it that only fits your head. Moses can't wear it. Joshua can't wear it. 
Nobody else, not Paul, not the Apostle Peter, nobody can wear it. It's yours and yours alone with your name on it, waiting for you in the new heaven and new earth. Do you know that? The anticipation is something that we need to have in relation to this new heaven and new earth that the Lord wants us to believe in by faith. Because He promised us. He promised us. How do I know that my wife and my daughter will be at home waiting for me? How do I know they did not run away? How do I know that my wife will not run away with another man? Of course, we have communication. In those days, there was no internet. Phone call, yes, but it was extremely expensive. So it was very, very rare. Could not afford it. And so it was snail mail. I will write, and then she will write back and return. In those days, they have those mail that is called aerogram. That's the cheapest. Where it's just one piece of paper, front and back. You just pay one fixed amount and you write as small as possible, but make sure that it is readable because that's it. You cannot insert any item. The moment you insert any item into it, you got to pay extra. So all you can do is to write and you write small and clear and crisp. You can pack in a lot of words to save money. And that's what we did during the eight and a half months to exchange communication. And so, Everything she wrote back, I got to believe by faith. I would not be able to see. Of Obviously, there's no WhatsApp, where there's no FaceTime. None of these things were available. It was the early 1990s. Computer was just born in its infancy at that time. Everything was very archaic compared to what we have today. The anticipation that is based upon trust, based upon faith. You don't have to see it, but you just believe. The anticipation, that's what the Lord wants us to know. So that when you have that anticipation of being in your new heaven and a new home, the things around you, the attractions around you will lose its power and its pull you just simply have no desire for them anymore. No more longing, no more. And once you have that, you realize that the devil cannot seduce you with the world any longer. Oh, he can seduce you through other means. Please don't think that now you can be sinless. It's just that from this particular perspective and this particular angle, he realized that this particular child of God cannot be tripped and snared by this approach. Sure, he can use other approach. But in particular, this particular direction and angle of attack, the Lord says, Wherefore, beloved, seeing that ye look for such things, I hope you are, you should, you must, longing for your new heaven and new earth, then prove it. Be diligent that ye may be found right now. Right now. So if you have this longing, longing for home, okay, the nature of our home, you have a new earth characterized by righteousness, 
and now longing for home. This longing, in anticipation. Then God says, you must be at home. Now be at home, of course, not that you will be in the new heaven and new earth, but be at home in terms of your life. Remember, we talk about righteousness. Well, the Lord in verse 14b used different terminologies to describe the outcome of a life of righteousness will result in peace. That ye may be found of him in peace. Of whom? Who is the him there? The Lord. Christ Jesus in peace with God. Without spot and blameless. Three things in peace. Peace with God pertaining to your salvation. Crucial. You make sure you have that. Number one, peace with God. That means do not allow yourself to think that you are safe. You must know without a shadow of doubt that you are truly saved. And you truly know within your heart of hearts that you bear fruit of salvation, the evidence of salvation. Someone who is born again in Christ will have the evidence of salvation. And the Lord has given to us so many of them in the New Testament because the Lord knows that we need them. In the Old Testament, for them to know that they are truly born again, it's also all around them because they live in a society that was ordained by God. For example, if they observe the Passover by faith, they will know that this lamb that taketh away the sin of the firstborn son with the blood all over the lamppost, the doorpost, I mean, the entrance, the side post and the lintel. Knowing that this is a type of Christ, a representation of someone in the future who will die for my sin. Do it by faith. They will be born again. They know that they are born again. They know they're children of God. Everything that they live according to Scripture in the land of promise, ordained by God when they do so by faith, that is the clear evidence for their own hearts that they are born again. We don't live as a national witness, and so God also gave us some evidence that will help us Gentiles because the culture that we live in is not of God. It's of idolatry. Even though many of the cultural practices that we as Christians observe, so long as it has lost its spiritual idolatrous significance, we can observe them. That's what the Bible teaches us in Romans 12. Sorry, Romans 14, I beg your pardon. Romans 14. Do them as unto the Lord. But the Lord has given to us, for example, a person who is truly born again, he must be able to understand God's word and love God's word and obey it. Do you have that experience? Then you can have peace with God. He loves all things spiritual, such as worship. He loves to read the Bible. He loves to pray. He loves to be with Christians more than with any other human being on earth. Because with his brothers and sisters in Christ, he doesn't have to be on guard. He doesn't have to be wary whether he can share 
openly about the things of God, like what he is experiencing every time he is with his family members who are non-Christians. When you want to tell them about the gospel, tell them about the love of Christ, they get upset, they get angry with you. But when you're with brothers and sisters in Christ, you can share and talk about the love of Christ openly with a very clear and happy heart. Do you have that feeling? Do you have that love to be with God's people, to attend fellowships, to attend Bible studies, to keep the Sabbath day holy? All these are the evidence in the New Testament of someone who is truly born again. You need to know them so that when the Bible here says, be found in peace, God's peace, that salvation found of him, that is Christ, in peace with God, without spot. That means you will live a life according to Scripture. And then when you stumble and fall, you repent of your sin, and that's how you can be blameless. Blameless doesn't mean that you are sinless. Blameless means that whatever blame that you may have committed that can result in blame, you have repented of it. You have borne the consequences of it so that they cannot blame you anymore and then charge you and send you to prison. I've already gone to prison. I've already paid my penalty. And now you're out of prison. The same uh, sinful deed, the same criminal act that you have committed, that you have paid in full, and now you are outside. No man, no policeman, no judge can now catch you and sentence you again for the same crime. You have paid for it in full. You have paid to society. You just came out of prison. That's what he means by blameless, not sinless. Blameless. That means don't hide your sin. Don't live in hypocrisy. Don't pretend to be someone that you are not. These is what it means to be at home. Be at home, even in this sin-filled world, with the look, the anticipation of a new heaven and new earth. You be at home in this new life in Christ. Even in this mortal flesh, earthen vessel. Make sure that you are first right with God, be in peace with God, so that you can be at peace with everyone around you. A hypocrite can't. A hypocrite is the person who pretends. And his true colors will only be seen by himself when he looks at himself in the mirror in the private quarters of his own home. But not someone who is truly born again. You see him in church as he is, he's the same person as he is at home and in the private quarters of his own home. This is who he is. Because he has peace with God. And therefore, he can have peace with anyone. Now, whether they want to accept his peace is another thing. Just like the Pharisees, they were never at peace with Christ because they rejected his holiness and his truthfulness. There will be such individuals in your life that is not because of any wrongdoing on your part, but it's because of your righteousness. That's why they despise you. That's why they will not give you peace. That's why they persecute you. That's fine. But this peace is within your own soul, within your conscience, and you know that you have not done anything wrong. You know that your heart and your life is clean because whenever you have done wrong, you repented of it. And that is the kind of heart that God says every child of God must have. That's why 
be at home when you grow. Because this is exactly who you are. And it will be a perfect fit in the new heaven and new earth. But if you pretend, you pretend to like to come to church, you pretend to pray and say all the right Christian jargons, you pretend to come for prayer meeting, you pretend to attend fellowships, you pretend to love Bible studies, you pretend to love God's word. You know that pretense, it's only a self-delusion where the greatest hurt will be to your own soul. You are the victim of your own foolishness because God will not be deceived by your hypocrisy and your pretense. The Lord knows. And one day you will know, but by then, sadly, it will be too late. Stop pretending. Be real, be sincere, be genuine. Be at home in your spiritual growth. Because a person who knows that he has a home in the new heaven and new earth, he will have this longing, this anticipation for such a home. His being that enables him to have this anticipation and longing where it will be characterized by righteousness, he knows that his personality and who he is in the inner soul, the inner man, is a perfect fit. Because in that new heaven and new home, that is where his Saviour dwells. And the Saviour dwells in his heart, here, at home, while he grows on this earth, inside. And that's how he knows that he will be a perfect fit. That's why he can be at home, even in this sinful world, as he lived for his Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Because to him, to be at home is to live a life that is like what his home will be characterized by, righteousness. That's why the Bible here says, that ye may be found in him, if you have this longing to be in heaven, in the new heaven and new earth. This is where it must begin. So look at your life right now. Be honest before God. Stop pretending. Stop hiding. See whether all your areas, all your relationships, if you are married, husbands, are you a husband that is, according to Scripture, loving your wife as Christ loved the church? Wife, are you a Christian wife submitting to your own husbands as unto the Lord, as the Lord has commanded you, so that you will have peace, so that you will be without spot and blameless in your husband-wife relationship. If your parents are still alive and you are a Christian, how are you honouring them? Do you truly honour them, respect them, and not speak and talk ill about them behind their backs? And if they are retired, do you give them monthly help financially? Do you visit them? Do you spend time with them? Do you speak gently, kindly, patiently with them, especially when they grow older? They're hard of hearing. They're not as quick as they used to be in their minds. And so they might appear foolish 
They need you to repeat and say over and over again, and you get upset and you get irritable, and you find them a burden and a chore rather than a blessing, forgetting how they used to look after you when you were an infant and you depended totally upon them. And now it may appear as if they are depending totally upon you. And how do you respond and react? In Christ, are you blameless? Are you without spot? Are you in peace before God when the Lord were to ask you and give an account of how you look after your aged mom and dad? And if they are not believers, all the more you must be a holy witness and shine brightly for the Lord Jesus Christ. Does it bring glory and honor to the Lord? Is your life and your service in church without spot and blameless, in peace with God when God would ask you to give an account? That's why you have to be at home right now in terms of your life that is characterized by righteousness in peace because of Christ. Blameless because you have repented of all your sin and you're doing what is right. That's why without spot. Home of growth is critical in helping us to continue to grow in grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Even as the Lord has revealed to us, I'm going to destroy your old home. But nevertheless, I promise you, you can look forward to a new home, a new heaven and a new earth. But that new heaven and new earth is characterized by righteousness. And therefore, I want you to anticipate with a righteous life right now. That means be at home right now as you prepare for home in the future. Would you do that for Christ's sake and have a good step-by-step -step evaluation of all areas of your life and may it be found in peace without spot and blameless in Christ. Let us pray.